Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 99. Whoa, 99 problems and a podcast isn't one. Triple digits. Crazy. Is it sad that I'm like kind of surprised that we stuck with something so long? Uh, yeah. But I mean, we both like did the college thing. Like we stick with shit. Yeah. We both hate changing jobs, so we stay at jobs forever. True. So why am I so surprised that we sucked this out? Because this is like bonus work. True, 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 true. Well, it's bonus work I love. Me too. Like podcasting and... And all the things that go with it, like the social media stuff. Yes, highlight of my day, every day. Yeah. When people post, when they get the thank you cards and stickers, Mm -hmm. like it makes me tear up in the best way possible, like... That we mean that much to y'all because y'all mean that much to us. Definitely. Oh, you know what? What? We got a couple of people that are about to be getting those thank you cards. Yes. Brooke S. from Tennessee. Rashi W. from Alabama. Jeremy C. from Mississippi. Deborah P. from Wisconsin. Jonna M. from Texas. And Sarah Ray B. from New Jersey. Thank y'all so freaking much. And we hope that you enjoy your letters as much as other people. And all the other things that come along with it. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. 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 Bonus episodes and shit. If you want the bonus episodes and shit and the letters and the shout out, head over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay. One last thing. I have a podcast recommendation. It's called Your Own Backyard. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's about the disappearance of Kristen Smart. It's a guy who's local to the area and everything. And he researched this for years. And it's just, like, really good. Okay. Almost to the level of cold podcast. Yeah. Good. Just his investigation and, like, how he lays everything out. Okay. That's good, because I've been on the hunt for a good, like, serial podcast like that. It's... Like seven episodes. Those are my favorite. When they're just like a good five, ten episodes, investigative type thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that. I'll definitely check it out. Awesome. Well, let's get back to this podcast and dazzle us. No pressure. Okay. One night, I'm falling asleep, watching Forensic Files, as you do. And I heard this story and I was like, do what? When I was listening to it. And so, you know, had to pull up my notes on my phone and add it into my list. Okay, picture it. January of 1994. A guy by the name of Paul Gruber had just gotten back to his lake house at Muskrat Lake in Idaho. He had been at his daughter's house in Reno for Christmas, you know, did the family thing, and had just gotten back from his holiday with him. Paul was a retired teacher, and he was just, he was one of those teachers that, Everybody loved. He's fluent in a bunch of languages. He was well-traveled. He loved to go to places where he could kind of immerse himself into the languages that he was learning and that kind of thing. And so he was just this full-of-life, fun guy to be around. Paul was only 53 years old, so he was very active. I mean, not that you can't be active old, but you get the point. He was just super active in the community. So when his daughter, Shelly Kepley, Hadn't heard from him in a couple of weeks. She was like, what the fuck's going on? So she would call his phone number, remember, 1994. So the answer machine would pick up. 
she'd leave a message. He'd never call back, but she just kept calling and getting the answer machine. Well, after a few weeks of that, her son got a birthday card in the mail from Paul, which was not uncommon. You know, he was very good about sending birthday cards with the check kind of thing. You know, he always stayed in touch that way. But when Shelly got the card, something just didn't sit right with her. She was like, this isn't, the card wasn't as emotional, like loving as it usually is. It was like yeah. love grandpa kind of thing. I don't know if that's what yeah. it said. But basically, it, we went from, I love you, have a happy, great birthday, blah, 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 to like love, you know? Yeah. And so she was like, something just isn't right. And so she called the police department in Idaho and was like, can you just do like a welfare check? Just something in my gut says something's wrong. He's not answering the phone. We got this card, but it just doesn't feel right. Something's off. Well, when police get there, Paul isn't there, but nothing else is in his house either. What? Everything was cleaned out. The electronics, his clothes, the furniture, everything. And so the police are like, okay, well, um, this is fucking suspicious, but... Again, he's a grown man. There's not really anything showing foul play, but we're still going to just keep doing a little digging. Especially because clearly he's in some form of communication because like her son got the birthday card. But again, why is he not answering the phone? And when he gets the message, why is he not calling her back? So Shelly's like, Shelly's very smart, this one. She's like, I'm going to do a little test. So she calls her dad's number. Answer machine picks up, and she tells a lie. She says, again, I'm ad-libbing. Hey, Dad, it's Shelly. Just wanted to remind you that, whatever her husband's name is, birthday's coming up, and, you know, we talked about you giving him that money for his birthday, so just wanted to remind you, bye. Again, total ad-lib. Not her husband's birthday. That conversation never happened. And guess what happens? She gets a birthday card with money in the mail. Exactly. Five days later, in the mail, a card with a $25 check. $25? Why would that be the amount of money they talked about? Right. Wow. Well, she, of course, had the check with the signature and all. And she had the card with the writing in it. And she's like, this is not my dad's handwriting. Like, this is not him. So she pulls out some old birthday cards and stuff. And she's like putting on her forensic hat and, like, comparing them. And she's like, this is not the same handwriting. It's not the same. So she gives it all over to police, and they consult a handwriting expert who's like, no, this is the same handwriting. And she's like, I don't care what you say. It's not. I'm telling you it's not his handwriting. What the hell? So the police are like, okay, like I said, it's weird that he's not answering calls, but he's sending these birthday cards and money. It's weird that nothing else is in his house, but clearly he's checking the messages at his house because he knew about the fake birthday card to send to the son-in-law. So what the fuck is going on? So the police decide to do a little bit of digging into his finances. And of course, what they uncover makes them go, the fuck? All of Paul's bills are still being paid. Okay. And so they're like, okay, so he's paying his bills. There's nothing in his house. What the fuck is going on? He's not talking to his daughter, and they're very close. So it's just bizarre. The police did see one thing that made him go, hmm. 
Paul's card had been used around town to pull cash out from ATMs. So the police go to all the ATMs where Paul's card had been used to try to get the camera footage to figure out, is it Paul using this card? Well, guess what? The cameras did not work. None of them had cameras. Oh, shit. That's why he used it. Exactly. Also, it's 1994. Yeah. Sleuthy Shelley, his daughter, decides, I'm going to do another test. She calls the post office to see if her father's been picking up his mail from his P.O. box. Well, yes, in fact, his mail had been taken from his P.O. box regularly. So the police get them to pull up the security cameras to see who's been picking up his mail. Well, of fucking course, it was like the camera was tilted at the perfect angle to where all they really got was like a silhouette. Oh my gosh. Insert Queen song. They saw enough of the silhouette to know, okay, well, that's not Paul, but who the fuck is it? Well, some people around town were like, okay, that actually looks like this guy named Daryl Kuhl, who lived in town. He was like a handyman as people needed him kind of thing. So the police pull up pictures of Daryl, and he is basically a spitting image of the silhouette. So they like stake out the post office to see who comes and picks up the mail. And it was, in fact, Daryl. So they pull Daryl in for some question. And... Again, you know, he's a handyman around town. And so he says, yeah, Paul hired me to basically be a caretaker for him while he went out of town. And so I'm checking his mail, you know, all the things. So they show him a picture of Paul. And he's like, that's not who hired me. Oh, shit. And they're like, what you mean? And they say, well, Paul Gruber hired me, but uh, that's not Paul Gruber. You just showed me. And so the police are like, what you fucking mean this is Paul? And he said, that's not who hired me. And so he works with the sketch artist to come up with a sketch of who hired him to be the handyman for Paul while he's out of town, quote unquote. So the police are like, okay, did somebody else do something to Paul and then hire Daryl to keep it under wraps? Because who would notice, you know? Well... The police go back to Paul's house, and they're just looking around, and again, everything's fucking empty. Like, there's nothing. But when the detectives go, why is there a rug in the middle of this fucking floor? And why is this rug glued to the fucking floor? Oh, my God. So the police pull up this random rug that's glued down to the floor, like, to hardwood floor, like, real hardwood floor. Like, you would never glue shit down to real hardwood floor. Right. Unless it was a quarter and you glued it down just to watch people try to pick it up. Who would do that, Donna? Well. You. Being my mama. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all did that? We didn't glue it down. It was in her store. She had like a gag gift thing that it was like, I don't know, super glue. But Mm -hmm. it would come up with like warm water or whatever. Oh my God. Hell yeah, we would. God, it was so funny. So, when they get the rug up, they see this, like, gouged-out area in the hardwood. And the detective is like, that looks like a bullet ricocheted off of that. Oh, shit. So, they test it, and it does, in fact, have gunshot residue. So, they're like, okay, bring in the forensics. (laughs) 
they spray luminol all over everything. And as soon as they hit it with that light, ping, pong, 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 start lighting up like a fucking Christmas tree of all the cleaned up blood. Oh my gosh, it's like a rave. They ended up actually finding some blood and tested it, and it was Paul Gerber's blood. So they bring in a cadaver dog, but the dog doesn't find anything. So they're like, fuck, okay, well, we know something happened. We're not back to square one, but we still have fucking nothing to go on. So frustrating. So the police are just kind of going back thinking, okay, what the fuck is going on? The police still have Daryl Kuehl in the back of their mind, and they're not done with him yet. They decide to do a little more digging into him, his story, all the things, and they find some unusual deposits in his checking account, like large sums of cash deposits, like multiple deposits adding up to like $20,000, large amounts of cash. Wow. They compare his deposits to the large cash withdrawals from Paul's account, and they're the same. Like, I'm talking weird numbers. Like, one of them was like $6,220.78. Like, weird numbers that they matched completely. When they took that to Daryl, he was like, well... Remember, he hired me as his handyman to, like, pick up his mail and stuff. He also wanted me to pay his bills. So I had to take the cash so I could pay the bills. But the police were like, mm, I don't fucking buy that. The police still had all the checks and the birthday cards that were supposedly written by Paul that his daughter was like, this is not his handwriting. So they took that with a sample of what they know for a fact to be Paul's handwriting and what they know for a fact to be Daryl's handwriting and went to another forensic handwriting expert. This time, when this investigator had handwriting samples from both men, he was able to say, in fact, that is not Paul's handwriting, but it is Daryl's. Who saw that one coming? Not me, because I was thinking it might be the husband of the daughter. Oh, really? <laughs> Hey, I mean, if he, no, that's no, I, that was actually that's good. I know. I remember watching this the whole time and being like, but who is it? I mean, it's so obvious, but it really threw me when he it was totally believable that he as a handyman was hired mm -hmm. by someone, you know, and so yeah. I mean, he went through the whole shebang. I mean, I mean, he was in it to win it with that story. I mean, police had published the sketch being like, have you seen this man? Who is this? Man? You know, I wonder who the person he was talking about was. I don't know, but one thing said that he was so in it to win it with that story that he was going to kidnap, I guess, a transient worker and, like, force them to confess on tape. Oh, like, on videotape. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then kill them. I'm sure make it look like they died by suicide. Mm -hmm. And so he may have had somebody in mind. When he made yeah. that sketch, you know, forensic investigators keep doing their thing and they take the birthday cards and they test the DNA on the back of the stamps and it's Daryl's DNA. Wow. So, uh, got him and got him, but they're like, okay, we know this is Daryl. We got his DNA. We've got his handwriting. But we still don't have a fucking body. Where is Paul's body? 
They'd gotten a search warrant to search Daryl's property, obviously, because they had his DNA and all that. They did find a lot of Paul's, like, furniture and tools and stuff. But then they found this hidden door. And behind the hidden door, they found a lot of weapons. They found a twenty-two caliber handgun. They found some swords, a fucking throwing star. And there was a homemade silencer for the handgun. This is, like, uh, American Pickers... Criminal edition. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? They were still pretty much, though, not at a standstill, but they didn't have the fucking body. Well, about a year and a half after Paul disappeared, they go back to Daryl's house just to do, look, let's just, we got our search warning. Like, let's just go back and look. Well, this time... When they went through the basement crawl space, there was like a sunken in area on the floor. So the police are are like, this ground has been dug up, put back together, and it's settling. And so they excavate the area, and they find Paul's body, and he is wrapped up in a deflated air mattress, and he had been shot Four times by a twenty-two caliber gun. Oh my gosh. It wasn't until May 2nd of 1997. So three years later, Daryl was found guilty of murder, forgery, and grand theft. And you know, it just sucks too, because Paul was a teacher. He worked so hard for that money that he had, that he had saved up. Like, he one thing I saw said, he even worked a second job as a dealer at one of the casinos when he lived in Reno because he had just moved to this beautiful lake house that he had saved up all this money for, you know, had his life savings, had retired, was doing the damn thing. And he fucking hired Daryl as a handyman. And Daryl was an entitled son of a bitch that wanted something for nothing and killed Paul for his money. Wow. Wow. He was sentenced to life in prison. He appealed it a few times, but it was always upheld, and he's still in prison. Wow. So poor Paul and his poor daughter, Shelly, like, she's the one that got the ball rolling on everything. Like, she knew her father so well to know that mm, he didn't write this birthday card. Yeah. Like, who would even think that? Like, I would be like, well, that's odd. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I guess it was the culmination of that on top of him not answering some of the phone calls. Yeah. Nor returning them, that she was like, this is weird. His daughter, Shelly, reminds me of Sheila Wysocki and Mm -hmm. her roommate. Yeah. Like, everyone's like, oh, no, it's not that. And it's like, no, something is definitely wrong, and I'll do your job for you. Well, and, you know, it's it's so easy... I mean, we see it all the time in cases of missing persons, where it's like, it's so easy to dismiss them, especially as an adult. Well, it's an adult. It's their right to leave. It's their right to just completely drop their whole life and move away. And, I mean, I know no police department has resources to hunt down every single lead of every single missing person. Right. So, how you make those decisions of who does what, I don't fucking know. But I just feel like there has to be some sort of, like, gut feeling, some intuition of... Okay, no, this this daughter or this husband or this father or whomever, they know in their heart of hearts that this person, something's wrong. Yeah. I need to pay attention. Yeah. And luckily for Shelly, 
And for Paul, the police did that with her. And they did go check and they did go, well, this is weird. But, you know, I really think if Daryl had left his house intact, if he had not been greedy to that level, Mm -hmm. he may have never been found out. Exactly. Because they wouldn't have thought the rug was weird Mm -hmm. and all of that. Yeah. It's because he was that greedy, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like. Because he's probably like, I got away with it for this month. I got away with it for that month. Mm -hmm. Let me just start selling off his TV or his Mm -hmm. whatever. Yep. Pawning it, whatevs. Well, now he's probably someone's pawn in jail. The story just had like so many things where I thought it was going to go. Yeah. It was like, at first I was like, what was Daryl? It's got to be this guy. But then when he was like, that's not who hired me. Mm -hmm. And like had the sketch drawn. I was like, oh, well, shit. There's, this is a turn of events. Like, this is deeper yeah. than I imagined. Yeah. So, I like you. I mean, I didn't think it was the son-in-law, but I did. I was like, there's somebody else. There's a, mm-hmm. you know, something. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I'm glad he didn't get away with it forever. Yeah. Well, my story is completely different than yours. Well, that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 99 episodes, and I just found that out. There was one episode where we did have a pretty similar story. Of course, I can't remember which one. Oh, good story. I don't even remember what story I just told. She's not lying. Okay, so we know that Carrie is actually a changeling. And if you aren't up to date on that, I did an episode and uncovered the truth. Allegedly. Mm, Mark this down, y'all. She's a changeling. I mean... 11 out of the 12 things fit me, but that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) But now, moving on to my other best friend, Tiffany. Is this about how she kills people with her mind? Yes. Nuh-uh. Yes. Oh, my God. I actually have to give a shout out to Crate Mom, Teresa Brundage, because she actually brought it to my attention a while back. Well, we know that Tiffany has, quote-unquote, Killed several of my family members and beloved pets. R.I.P. Gizmo. Mm-hmm. And Ambrosius. Yeah, pretty much. I won't add Ambrosius to her belt. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's got one paw up there. Mm-hmm. It's like a stamp. It didn't make it its way all the way through. <laughs> We've called her the Angel of Death, jokingly. And she even used that as her Halloween costume. And let me tell you, it was her best one yet, She looked very natural, (laughs) if I do say so myself. Okay, who all has she killed? Because if you're just starting to listen, our best friend Tiffany has a way about her Mm -hmm. where she will casually say, I can't believe your mama's still alive. (laughs) And then my mama died. And then they die. I mean, like, literally everything. I can't believe that pet gizmo's still alive. And then he dies. Crumbled up on a rock, people. Yeah, literally, anytime she mentions anyone's lifespan, they die. Mm-hmm. So, my mama, well, in order, Gizmo. Which was an axolotl, whatever the fuck that is. An accident, that's what that was. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother story. Lori, my oldest sister. Mm-hmm. I mean, cancer killed her, but Tiffany gave her death blessing, apparently. Then my mama. Mm-mm. You cat Ambrosius. I'm, I'm, she, she did it. I'm sorry. She did it. <laughs> well, then my mama. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got. There's somebody we're forgetting. I mean, other than um the guy from 90210. 
Oh yeah, she she definitely killed Luke Perry. Luke Perry. Mm-hmm. Probably Patrick Swayze too. Yeah, and you know what? I got a screenshot of a conversation with another actor that she mentioned dying, mm-hmm. and I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting mm-hmm. because I'm gonna be like, y'all look, Tiffany did it. <laughs> it's all her fault. All right. Well, like many of my other stories, the media portrays these folklore, cryptids, all of the things, a lot more grim than the truth. So what Creepmon said that Tiffany reminded her of was a banshee. What? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And what the media portrays is they're terrifying, evil, and their screams can kill a person. But we're going to explore the origins and see just how scary or not scary banshees really are. So the word banshee is derived from Old Irish banshee, but it's like spelled like bean and then C as in senor, like C senor. Yeah. And it translates to fairy woman. But according to a YouTube video I watched from Monstrum, C originally meant other world. So it makes sense that it would be woman of the other world because banshees were once living women whose spirit is linked to the realm of the dead. They are often heard more than they are seen. And even if you do look at them, you've heard them for a while before. Because the media does get that right. They are known for their screaming and their wailing. However, it doesn't kill you like Supernatural or the other shows would have you believe. But don't get it twisted. Her screaming can and has been able to shatter glass. But more importantly, her scream is thought to be an omen of death. Hence, Tiffany. Mm-hmm. So basically, she warns you that someone in your family will die soon. She doesn't cause the death, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Tiffany does. Mm-hmm. But I feel like banshees are helpers. She alerts you to this, gives you time to say your goodbyes, Sometimes, because sometimes it's like you hear or see her and that person dies immediately. Some legends say that she's an escort for the loved ones who pass to go safely to the other side. The first stories of banshees were seen in the 8th century. Damn. Yeah. And so it's based on these women called keeners. And what these women would do, they would sing a sad song at a funeral it would be to you know lament the person's death but also to ward off evil spirits for the person's soul here's another tie to tiffany she's gonna kill me literally but how these keeners were paid was by alcohol oh shit Mm mm-hmm blame it on the alcohol That was a good one. Thanks. Well, so they were said to be sinners because, you know, they're actually women who are making their own money paid by alcohol and all the things. And they were punished by being doomed to be a banshee. Also, the keeners, they did not have to follow social customs. So they would sometimes travel barefoot, like not on the main roads, but like in the countrysides. And so their hair would be wild and their dress would be torn sometimes. And so it, you know, they looked 
like a Tim Burton character. Yeah, that's a good visual image. Yeah, like the uh, the witch from Big Fish. Mm-hmm. So people who had keeners at their funeral were usually well off. Mm-hmm. And it's like the bigger funeral that you had was like, oh, he was so beloved, blah, blah, blah. He was, you know, so rich because of all of these people who, you know, all the things. So if you had this like person wailing in the background, it's like, he's going to be so missed. Our world will not be the same without him in it. That is legitimately one of my fears that when I die, no one will come to my funeral or if I get married, that like my side of the aisle would look like my big fat Greek wedding. Like their side would have all those people and my side would have like two rows. Well, just your immediate family would take up the whole fucking church. No, we're not that many. Three rows, Max. Of just your immediate family? Yeah. Okay, I'll give you three rows. So since the people who would be wealthy and all of the things would be the ones that have keeners, originally it was said that banshees only keened for noble families. And those would be O'Grady, O'Neill, O'Brien, O'Connor, and Kavanaugh. And these were the ancient Celtic noble families. Later on, I mean, like, people have married. It's like intermarriages and all of the things. So it's not just those core families anymore. Mm -hmm. But still. There's different forms that banshees can take. I mean, they're all women. One form is an old woman who's dressed in black with long gray hair And she covers her face with a veil. Another one's an old woman with long white hair, which Tiffany had on her Angel of Death costume. Mm -hmm. Red eyes and dressed in a green dress. Then there's another one that is deathly pale woman, but she's like pretty. Long red hair. And she's dressed in a white dress. But Tiffany loves her hair red. Mm Mm-hmm. Then there's, like, a beautiful woman wearing a shroud. Another one, a beautiful woman with silver white hair. And she wears long silver dress that shimmers. She's usually carrying a silver comb. And then the last form is a headless woman, naked from the waist up, and she's carrying a bowl of blood. Well, that's Tiffany's favorite way to be. Headless. Naked. <laughs> I have no idea why I said naked like that. Naked. Also, all the descriptions say that the banshee's eyes are noticeably red from crying so much. Oh. But what did Tiffany have? Tears that were coming down her face from her Halloween costume. Mm-hmm. And allergies. Quote, unquote, (laughs) allergies that make her eyes red. (laughs) True. Mm Mm-hmm. Some legends say that the Banshee is a ghost of a young woman who was brutally killed. And that her death was so horrible and tragic that she now watches over families and loved ones, warning them of death. In this legend, she appears as an old woman and she has rotten teeth and long fingernails. Again, blood red eyes and her clothing, it's tattered. Another legend says that banshees have strong ties to their family and life and 
have, you know, like a super close relationship. And so they continue to watch over them in death. Uh, Tiffany has a close relationship with her family. <laughs> I mean, true. I'm not wrong. Mm-mm. Well, she'll like this because with this legend, they appear to be beautiful and enchanting. And they sing, you know, that hauntingly beautiful song. And it's just, they're all filled with concern and love. Problem. Tiffany can't sing. Tiffany, that was not me who said it. Okay, and so there is another version. And this is what is usually portrayed on TV. That they say during their lives, they had a reason to hate their family and... Those are the banshees that appear to be, like, spiteful and just frightening. They say their wailing almost sounds like a howl. Instead of them warning people about death, they're pretty much celebrating the future death of that person. Mm. And sometimes those banshees, because they get so much pleasure from taking that life of the person that they loathe, They seek out their victims and they wail and howl and all of the things to the point where that person dies by suicide or goes insane. Oh, damn. There is one more, like, legend, and it's where they believe that they are fairy queens who are driven underground by the arrival of humans. And fairies and changelings, I mean, it's a... Very kid. That's why y'all are best friends. I mean, maybe. Allegedly. (laughs) So there's stories about battles and that they would be abandoned by soldiers because while they were camped out, they would hear the wailing in the woods. They would be terrified because they're like, okay, that's a banshee. And she is saying one of us is going to die. So they would flee. How is that going to help? Because they were about to be in a battle, and they're like, oh, she's saying that we're not going to survive this battle. However, the soldiers who would flee were usually killed by their enemies Mm -hmm. or their own armies because they were a deserter or Mother Nature because, because if they stayed in hiding for too long and didn't get food or any of the things, all the necessities, the elements would get them too. And so every time one of the soldiers would die, the legend of the Banshee would, you know, grow and grow and become stronger. And by the 15th century, people believed in Banshees. And it was so widespread that even King James I of Scotland had reported that he encountered one. Oh, shit. Banshees are also known by other names and Hag of the Mist and Little Washerwoman are two of the most common nicknames. The Little Washerwoman, it comes from tales of a woman was seen washing the blood stains from the clothes of the person who was about to die. And these banshees are known as Bianni, and they are of Scottish origin. They're usually seen looking lonely because they're alone by a stream or a pond And they're washing the blood from the linen or the clothes that the person who is about to die is going to wear at his funeral. 
Okay, so this gives this gets a little hairy. Mm-hmm. But depending on the location, the Viennese kind of change. They're said to be the spirits of women who have died giving birth. And so they're doomed to perform their task until the day their lives would have normally ended. On two islands, she is known to have unusually large and long boobs. And so large that they interfere with her washing. So she throws them over her shoulders like a... Over the shoulder boulder holder? Well, I was going to say like a continental soldier. You know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do your ears hang low? Yeah. And she lets him hang down her back. Yo. Oh, okay. Here it comes. Oh, God. There's more. So if someone walks up on her and they're like, oh, fuck, I see Tits McGee over here. Mm-hmm. They cannot turn away, but they have to approach her. So Ace Ventura, close to her from behind, so she's not aware that they're there. And then he's got to take a hold of one of her boobs, put it in his mouth, what? and claim to be her foster child. Um, um. Yep, yep. Um. What? <laughs> what? I mean, what? <laughs> so after she and her foster child finish that whole thing, she will give him any knowledge that he desires. So if he's like, whose clothes are you washing? And it's someone he doesn't like, he can let her continue washing. And so then he can be like, oh, Wallace is going to die. But if it belongs to him or any of his friends, he can stop her from completing the task. And therefore, he can survive or his friends can survive. So basically, he gets to play God almost with this. On the Isle of Skye, the B&E mm, is very petite. They usually are said to resemble a small child, but it's a woman. But like, you know, short and like kind of looking pitiful is what they say. Well, if a person gets her, she can tell him like his ultimate fate. She will answer all of his questions truthfully, but he also has to truthfully answer hers. However, if she sees him first, then he will lose the use of his limbs. Oh my God, that's a heavy price to pay. Yeah. Also, she's usually singing loudly and all up in her wash, you know, with her boobs thrown over her fucking back, that she can be captured and if a person wants, she will tell them who is about to die, and she will also grant them three wishes. And sometimes, again, depending on the location, she's described to have certain physical defects. And that, like, there's a long list, but these are the ones that I was like, oh, what? She would only have one nostril. Then also she would have a large front tooth that is protruding, or webbed feet, and they would be red. Like, what? The beginning of that sounded like that character from that nanny movie where, Nanny McPhee. Oh, yeah. Like the, the tooth and stuff. Yeah. Okay, so I had to go to Reddit and see if anyone had had, because there were stories about, like, 
back in the day, people doing it, but I'm like, let's just check Reddit. And this one was by Gucci Master 786. Okay. Uh huh. <laughs> but he said, as a child, he remembers his grandmother telling him that his grandfather had been sick. And so he was staying in the back room of their house. So she was, you know, helping him out and she heard a loud banging on the front door. So she left the grandfather to go answer it. Well, when she got to the door, she could hear sobbing coming from outside. But when she opened it, there was no one on the other side. So she immediately went back to the grandfather and found him completely dead. Oh, my God. Then they say fast forward to November 2001, and they were at their grandmother's house. And she had been given, like, a few days to live. And so his father was like, you know, it's a good thing to do to say our goodbyes. Like, let's get closure. All of the things. But she was going through a slow, painful death. And so he remembers going to her bedroom and feeling very cold. And so he's like, "Mm -mm, it's not going to be a few days. This is going to be like mere hours. Well, as his grandmother's breathing became more shallow, the dad was like, you know what? Go sit in the front room. Like, you don't need to be here for that. So he called the guy's aunt's boyfriend to come pick him up. And so while he was waiting, he heard a knock at the door. So he assumed it was the aunt's boyfriend. When he got to the door, he heard crying. And when he touched the lock to open it, he felt a chill just run down his spine. Mm -mm. There was no one there. And he said almost instantaneously, he heard a mixture of prayers and sobbing coming from that back room. And he knew she was gone. He said, as he closed the door, he saw a glimpse of what he can only describe as a tall, thin woman sitting and crying on a neighbor's wall. And he said that experience has stayed with him forever. Wow. And then we also have one person in our group who also told me about banshees. And that's Stephanie T. She said that her fiancé is from Ireland. And he has a nan who said that when she was a little girl, she was out in the field tending to the cows. And she heard the banshee screaming, ran down to their house, and her father had passed away. Oh, God. Yes. So that's what I have about banshees. They're not the ones who kill you. Right. They warn you about impending doom. Yeah. And it's kind of like in Tiffany's own way. She asks about it or says, I can't believe, mm-hmm. insert this, is still alive. And it's like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, what does that say about me that I have? Two fairy friends? Mm-hmm. Are y'all my imaginary friends? This is all fake. I wouldn't put it past my brain. Y'all let us know what y'all think. Yes. Oh, hold on. I have a joke. Oh, God. Knock, knock. Who's there? Dishes. Dishes who? Dishes Sean Connery. (laughs) (laughs) Dishes Sean Connery. I can't do the accent. Okay. You do it. Dishes Sean. No. 
Dishish Sean Connery. Yours is better. Dishish. <laughs> That's funny. That's stupid. It's funny, funny. but stupid. Oh my god, it's so Why did funny. I say stupid like that? Stupid. Okay. Mm-hmm. Y'all let us know what y'all think. Banshees real? No? We don't know. Do you hear what I hear? Tiffany real. Mm-hmm. And we know her track record. <laughs> yes, we do. So y'all better watch out. And remember. Creep it real. And, and don't, don't get scared. scared.